Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20 today. And we will uh, continue to get to know Jesus through this gospel that Matthew has written. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Um, in preparing for today, I came across a alien spacecraft hovering <laughs> right over the, the building. We, we prayed about motorcycles. We forgot uh, the military. Honestly, Cole, tell me what that... Cole, there's somebody here to see you. I want you to tell me because I know you know what it is. Okay, thank you. Heads down, everybody. All right. That was amazing. Um, I came across a study uh, written in April of la- or published in April of last year. Um, and the title of the, of the study was Jesus Who or Jesus Times Journalists Need Bad Puns in Their Life. Um, and it was a study uh, assessing public opinion about Jesus, hence the really bad title. Um, and it was commissioned by the Episcopal Church, and they, they paid a research firm, Ipsos Research Firm, to do this study on American perceptions about the identity of Jesus. And so I pulled out three um, things from this study that I thought were really interesting. Um, by and large, most everyone agrees in America uh, that Jesus was a historical person, and even that he was an important spiritual figure. But after that, it begins to split off into lots of different tributaries. Um, 75% of US adults believe in the historical existence of Jesus, okay? Um, If you're an evangelical, that number goes to 96%. So there are four out of 100 evangelicals aren't super sure that Jesus was a real person, which is very concerning. 85% say that Jesus, of Americans, 85% say that Jesus was an important spiritual figure. That number goes to 99 if you're um, an evangelical. If you, which I know, it's kind of strange. You just like, you want a hundred, like, I know we're not great. You want a hundred at some point. Like, where's mere Christianity at? And you would think it would be Jesus was an important spiritual figure, but it's not there. It's not there. Um, If you show American Christians a list of, if you take biblical words and titles for Jesus that are in there that we're going to look at today in our text, and you just, and you make them in a list, and you say, pick your top three, Savior, 50% say Son of God, 20% say Messiah, and 20% say Lord. Isn't that interesting? All the titles that you could choose, those are the ones that they they would, they would choose, and only half of them would choose Savior. It's fascinating. Now, this, this study, like I said, was done by the Episcopal Church, and I'm sure they had their reasons for, for doing the studies, but here's what I, here's my suspicion about studies in general, and certainly studies like this. One of the theories that I have about, about when you see a study like this in the news is that the news needs something to have a story about. You know what I'm saying? I'm cynical. I, I you know, I, I admit it. But I, I think that the, the news, so that news institutions have an agenda. They have a theory that they want to validate, and so they commission a poll in order to see if their perceptions or validate their their story. Um, now, the Episcopal Church, that may not be the case. I thought a little bit later in the, from the text. 
But I, but I do think that when a poll gets laid out there and there's a story about it, there's an agenda behind the poll. The poll is not the news. The poll is a weapon or a, a tool to use to get at the news and propagate um, something, something else. So in our text today, Jesus commissions a poll. He commissions a study. And, and at first glance, he seems to want to know what public opinion is about him. Okay? But in actuality, Jesus has a different agenda behind the poll. Jesus is not particularly concerned uh, with what public opinion is about him. He wants to know what the disciples' opinion is about him. And in so doing, he wants to communicate what the implications are for that. Okay? So this is a pivotal text. It's a, it's, it's a hinge in Matthew, if not the, the hinge. It's where you're... If you laid Matthew out in its own book, it's where it would fall open in the middle. Okay, So we're going to look today at Matthew 16, 13 through 20. I'm going to read a verse, explain, read a verse, explain, and then at the end, I'm going to backload all the application Okay, so you know where, where I'm going. So look at verse 13. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, if you've been with us going through Matthew or, or, or been listening, going back through Matthew, you know we've just left a conversation where the Pharisees and the Sadducees have, have, have come up to Jesus and, uh, and asked him to give a sign because uh, they want to understand who, well, presumably they're trying to trap him. But the question is about his idea. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they want Jesus to be a militaristic, nationalistic, uh, political king. And they're trying to, to put him in that in that position. And so in that way that you would phrase the question, Jesus might be saying, who do, who do people want me to be? And in that, in that case, it was that militaristic Messiah king. Now Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, well, you know what I'm not? Because I've told you, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware of their teaching and their understanding that I'm a militaristic, nationalistic Messiah. That's not what the Messiah is about. So you know I'm not that. Who, who do you say, who do you think, you know, what do people believe about me? Now, knowing that it's not that, okay? And verse 14 is their reply. They, they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Okay, so if you'll go back to Matthew 14, you know why they believe this, right? John the Baptist was beheaded uh, by Herod, and, and, and Herod actually believed that Jesus may have been John the Baptist resurrected. Right. So this was a common uh, rumor that went around about Jesus' identity. Um, so they answered, well, you know, if you took a poll, Jesus, hold, you, hold your finger up in the air, some would say John the Baptist. Others would say Elijah. Okay, well, that's very weird. <laughs> but there were lots of messianic expectations um, uh, about the things and the events that would happen around the time when the Messiah came. And one of them was that Elijah would come back. And, this, and the, the, some of the judgment and some of the miracles that took place in the time of Elijah would also take place during the time of Messiah. And that Elijah would be uh, a part of uh, the Messiah's coming. And so if you held your, took a poll, some people would say, oh, he's definitely John the Baptist because um, X, Y, Z. And they say, well, I think he's Elijah given that blah, 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 blah. Uh, you can hear the talking heads through the crowd, right? Everybody giving their own explanation. 
And then others said, who knows why they would think Jeremiah would come out from the grave. Um, But there was this sense that whoever Jesus was, he was like that. He was like one of the prophets. He had that that bent. He, you know, he's very ascetic, didn't have a home, didn't have, any, didn't have a job, always a nomad. Um, you know, he he you know, often lived in the wilderness when he wasn't working through the, in the town. So it was, he, it was that kind of person, right? And he spoke with a great deal of authority and a great deal of power, and, and, it, and it brought a great deal of sense of wonder. And so the, you know, maybe he's like Jeremiah. Maybe he's, maybe he's a prophet. Okay? So that was the consensus, and isn't it fascinating that if you poll Jesus about Jesus today, you basically get the same things, right? I mean, to say that Jesus was a great teacher, which we get a lot, he was an important spiritual figure, okay, great. Yeah, I mean, he was around, but he was a great teacher, but, I mean, these are just contemporary versions of the same labels. 2,000 years have gone by. Opinions about Jesus have not really... Jesus segues that opinion poll... And he says, okay, that's what's being said out there, but let me ask you guys, use guys, a question. Verse 15, who do you say that I am? You ever remember being in high school or maybe college, and you've got an exam coming up, and it's the class, the day of class before the exam, and the teacher opens up, professor opens up 10 minutes of the class to let you ask questions about what's going to be on the test. And you ask questions, and your, and your professor, you know, she says something like, well, I, I don't, uh, I'm not going to tell you what's on the test. You just need to read your notes. You just need to, you just need to go back and look at the text. You just need to go you know, on and on. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and you just continue to try and pester and pester and pester. I have an email chain this long with a student right now in my Bible 104 class who is still going to get it wrong, even though she's asked me 900 different ways, really, can you just tell me the answer for this assignment that you have to turn in? Can you just tell me what the proper interpretation is of Acts 9, 36 through 43, so that I can get an A? And the answer was no. And I'm really good at saying no 900 different ways because I know what she is trying to do, right? This whole time, Jesus has been setting up the disciples, right? They've been set up by Jesus very well to get the answer right. Read, think about the context. This is, this is what's so great about reading it in order, okay? Jesus has just said, beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees. You know you know I'm not a nationalistic, militaristic messiah. And in front of the disciples and others, Jesus told the Pharisees and the Sadducees that if they could read the weather by looking at the signs in the sky, they should be putting the words in their mouth, right? They've seen him perform miracle after miracle after miracle and explain and teach in parables it's been unfolding slowly, slowly, slowly. It's been unfolding. And now here in verse 16, putting all of it together, the disciples, led by Peter, get the answer right. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. Now notice the title that Peter assigns to Jesus. It reads a little bit like a puzzle that he's been putting together in his mind. 
through all the experiences that he's had. Because we've seen Son of God, we've seen that title when Jesus walked on the water and he rescued Peter off the water. But now we get Messiah, which we know back from the uh, feeding of the 5,000 was a very intentional act of displaying Jesus as the one who provides bread like God did. And then we have living God. So you put all these things together and what you have is a full-throated title for who Jesus is. Okay? Peter has recognized Jesus' deity. That's what he's got. He now knows and he publicly states that Jesus is God incarnate. He knows that Jesus has all the powers of God to bring to bear on any situation. He knows it. He doesn't fully understand the implications and how all this is going to go out. Next Sunday, he's going to fall flat on his face. Okay? But right now, he's the big kid in class because he got it right. The light bulbs come on. The puzzle's been put together. He knows who Jesus is. And when you know, when you have a realization, that just kind of changes everything, right? Several years ago, I was a student pastor in Nashville, and uh, through a friendship that Holly and I share, um, we got invited to a... um, to a, a, a social gathering and like a pregame meeting of all of these local bigwigs who were working in the community and in the faith community to bring Luis Palau to Nashville. You know who Luis Palau was? He was this really big evangelist guy, and he would do you know, crusades. And we got invited as a representative of, of our, our church to be a part of this Thing. So we, we go, and it was held at the top of AT&T's, the Bell South building at the time, and at the, the Batman building. So at the very top, it's just, I mean, this was like, now this building is like hidden. You almost can't see it in downtown Nashville. But then it was like the building in downtown Nashville. And so we got up to the top of this building, and I'm wearing a coat and tie, and Holly's got this you know, dress on. We all look sharp. And, uh, we're, and we're meeting people uh, that we've, we have no business meeting because I'm just a 30-year-old, this thing. So, but you get comfortable in the room, you know, and you're, because, you know, there are hors d'oeuvres and refreshments or snacks, as I called them then, and then we, you know, <laughs> so we're just talking, and, and we're all, everybody's dressed pretty formally. I have a coat and tie on and dress, all this kind of, and then the elevator opens up, and out walks this guy in this, you know, brown leather bomber jacket and this hat turned sideways and he's, you know, walking around and they're like he owns the joint and his wife is, you know, beautiful and voluptuous and very fashionably dressed and very pregnant and she's, you know, just, you know, whoop, whoop, there goes my phone and um, just, you know, completely different looking than everybody else. Like, just like they didn't prepare at all, and yet they, like, they didn't know where they were going. And I just remember looking like, who is the hip-hop dude that just walked in here? I mean, who does he think he, he is? It was Toby Mac <laughs> and his wife. It was Toby Mac. And when I realized it was Toby Mac, my whole attitude just changed dramatically. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just instantly was humbled in the whole whole thing. The light bulb went on, and you realize, like, maybe I should just shut up and be grateful that I'm here. This is the same thing that's happened to Peter. The light bulb has gone on. It's been coming on. You know, it's the kind that you have to turn 
several times for some reason before. And everything is about to change for Peter right here in this moment. Look at verse 17. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. No clever or lucky human being gave Peter this insight that he now possessed. God gave Peter this insight. Jesus' identity, his a fully grasped and properly titled understanding of Jesus is a gift. God is the only one who can reveal God. It was a slow reveal. There were a variety of experiences and teachings and circumstances, some of which we have already read in the Gospels. There's going to be more. But God puts the puzzle together in Peter's mind. God turned on the light bulb. But maybe just for a second, Peter felt like the smartest kid in class. I know, I know, you know, it's the, I know, you know, and you have to call on that person again and again and again because they insist because they've done all the work. And Peter's like, I know the answer. And Jesus is, blessed are you, son of Jonah. And Peter's like, I know, because I know. And then God says, no, you don't know. You've been, you're, the truth that you have was revealed, not arrived. It's a huge difference between Christians and the world, by the way what we know. And the world does not accept revelation as one of those ways. And revelation is the primary driver in the faith. You're blessed. Not because of your keen intuition, Peter. I'm not going to let you live there. You're prideful enough, as we'll see. The reason you know and the reason you are blessed is because God revealed this to you. It's a gift. And there are direct implications. Look at verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Okay? Highlight the word Peter and rock in verse 18. Okay? So the first word in Greek is Petros the name Peter, and the next one in Greek is Petra, as in the 80s Christian rock band that you're... Aramaic, not Greek. Matthew's writing and recording in, in Greek. and in, in, So in Aramaic, it would be Cephas and Kephas, C with a, or in K, Cephas and Kephas, or whatever. Okay. And in Greek, it's Petras and Petra. So either way, you can see that Jesus is making a metaphorical pun here. Okay, This rock... Verse 18, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock is not a reference to Peter's statement about the identity of Jesus. It's about Peter, the man, as a result of the statement that he's made about Jesus' identity. Jesus is saying that Peter's going to be the lead human founder of the church and the one who exercises basic leadership in the early church. And it begins with this moment in confession. And Peter didn't get there because he was awesome. Peter got there because God revealed it to him and chose him for that role. 
This is not the establishment of the papacy. This is just a description of reality of Acts chapter 1 and 2 and 3 until Peter is killed for it. Okay. The church is not built on Peter. It's built on Jesus. Peter's statement is, makes that super clear. Peter just said, you are the living God, the Son of God, the Messiah, blah, blah, blah. You're the full, th- I get who you are. And then Jesus is not turn around and say, oh, I'm going to build my church on you. Good choice, good job. No. The church is built on me. And it's going to be executed through you when it gets started. That's what, that's what this text means. And because the church is built on Jesus, not Peter, the rest of verse 18 is already true. Quote, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? Like in what, in what sense of are gates powerful? No, no collegiate institution has gates as a mascot. They're demon deacons, ironically. <laughs> but they're not, okay, that was funnier in my heart. Deacons, but there are no hell's gates, you know, as a as a mascot of it, but as a power. Okay. So, but think of it like this. So cities, as we looked about today in Nehemiah, cities were walled, and the size and the strength and the girth, if you will, of the gates of a city were symbols of the strength that was enclosed in that city. Okay. So I'm... Basing Jesus' statement, I'm assuming that whatever's inside or behind the gates of hell, it's a pretty formidable, it's not a place you want to go messing around, right? Hades is full of entities and beings that we just wouldn't want to choose to mess with. But here's what Jesus says. As strong as they are and as much as they are going to try, they are no match for Jesus' church. Why? Not because Peter is clever, one to execute it through the gospel, through the book of Acts, through Gospel of Luke chapter two, okay, or volume two. They're no match because of who Jesus is and what he is going to do. That said, Peter does play a role. Look at verse 19. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Peter's confession has opened the way for the world to begin to understand exactly who Jesus is and what he's getting ready to do as Messiah. And this very phrase is going over to chapter 18, verse 18. Jesus will apply this very statement not just to Peter, but to all of the disciples, all the apostles, and we'll see that played out. Well, if you read the book of Acts, I don't have any plans to go through the book of Acts right now, but if we do, you will see it laid out there. Um, it It will begin to take place. But the confession opens the way. Okay? The confession opens the way. He and the disciples are going to lead the early church in determining who is actually going to be a part of the church. That's the keys. Go read it. It's better than the Super Bowl. Not really. I mean, it could be. Yes, it is. So, well, you know, depending on your team. But if you, if you read throughout, what you'll see is that, wait a minute, we thought we were Jewish. And this, the Jews are rejecting Jesus. We're going to the Gentiles. They're all believing in Jesus. Can they come in? Can they actually be a part of the church? Can they be followers of Jesus? That's, that's keys. And then it's loosing and binding. It's 
How, well, how does this work? The Gentiles eat pork, bacon. Can you believe they eat bacon? Or they don't wash their hands, I mean, or whatever. Like, how, how, how is this all going to play out? And the book of Acts is beautiful, and all of Paul's letters are, are beautiful. And trying to do what? Figure out how to loose and bind, loose and bind, loose and bind. And Jesus lays it out. I'm telling you all what's coming, and you're going to play this role. And God has opened this to your eyes right here and now, right in the middle of Matthew. You're going to give guidance and understanding for the impact of the gospel on everyday life. Um, Those roles are fulfilled. You know the imagery that we have about heaven that when you die, you go to these, for some reason their gates are pearl. Uh, I think that's because the Hebrew people did not go into the ocean. And if you found something out of the ocean that it was treasure, it was truly remarkable and truly treasurable. We remember the parable of the pearls. We talk about how valuable Peter, and he's got, you know, his key ring. So why should I let you in? Because I hold the keys to heaven. That's, that's not what this text means, okay? It's not, not what it means. You're not going to have a conversation with Peter or anybody else when your spirit leaves this body and goes to the spiritual realm. Then, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Like if you had just been, okay, so let's just sit on this for a second. I've just come to the, to the realization that he really is God. I get it now. I think, mostly. Yes, I'm right. He says I'm blessed because God's revealed this to me. I, I get it now. Okay, what do we do? Verse 20. Tell nobody. <laughs> you so serious, Jesus. You just wanted to know what everybody thought. You just excoriated the Pharisees and Sadducees for not reading the signs rightly. We get it revealed to us and you say, Shh, you lost your mind. You have been there because you and your spouse have known something or had a conversation and you know something's coming and it's time for them to know a little bit about what it is and you explain it to them and they figure out and then you say, no, 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 I'm... I'm not, I can't tell you that right now. I can't explain it fully to you right now. So, and that just creates all kinds of tension and arguments and frustration with the kids because they know something else is there, but they, but they don't understand why they can't know all of it and go on with it. That's, that's what's taking place here with, with Jesus. You know, there's, there's, you, because if you can have information that you understand at the level that it's been presented to you, but you don't know all of what Jesus says. You can't tell anybody yet is implied, right? Because we just said, you're going to loose and bind and have the keys. Okay, when do we get started? Well, don't tell anybody yet. (laughs) Don't tell anybody yet. Why? Because two reasons, and you'll see this next week. Number one, they don't know all the things they need to know to execute what they now know. It's one thing to have a vision, but you also need a strategy. You, know, they say, you say, culture eats strategy for breakfast. That's fine, but if you don't have a strategy, you won't eat breakfast. 
So that's what's going on here. The disciples don't fully grasp everything that's been revealed to them in this moment, even though they, on paper it says that they fully grasp it. You'll see that next week. Okay? But if they don't, you for sure know the Pharisees and Sadducees don't get it. You for sure know that the people out in the wilderness where Jesus has been doing all this ministry in the villages, they don't know either. To know that Jesus is the Messiah was one thing. To understand how this is actually... To, for, the, so for the disciples to go out and proclaim Jesus as Messiah would have been to invite misunderstanding. It, would have been, it wouldn't have been good news. It would have been bad news. It would have been wrong news. It would have been misunderstood news, something that no one could actually fathom. It's like, you know, you keep saying this word. I don't think it means what you think it means. That's what it would have invited. It all comes back to the princess bride. Okay? So for now, Jesus says, be quiet because I've got to actually do it. I've got to actually do it. You're blessed because God's revealed it to you now before it's actually going to get done. And you are going to have the opportunity to get to the place where you understand it. But even then, you're not going to fully understand it until after I've done it. And if that's true for you, these people out here, I've got to actually accomplish a mission. It's not so important that they know who I am. It's important that I get it done, that I actually do it. So the disciples are to follow the same path as the master. He knew he was the Messiah, but he did not proclaim it publicly. They know he's the Messiah to the extent that they know he's the Messiah. Again, next week. And they're not going to proclaim it publicly either. Okay, so what? All right, two things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know this one as well as you know Psalm 23. You want to say it with me? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. That's right. That's right. I think we all recognize this is something that we have to do on an ongoing basis. Trusting in the Lord. Leaning not on our own understanding. Acknowledging Him. Right? It is, it's not a one-time thing. To trust the Lord, to acknowledge Him, is to do it in an ongoing way. It's to say that God is going to reveal to us what we need to know, when we need to know it, and we can count on Him and it, right? We just do that constantly. So many things do not make any sense to us, and they all make sense to Him. So this is true not just about doing life, but it's true about understanding Jesus and the gospel, Human opinion about Jesus is totally inadequate when it comes to understanding who Jesus actually is. Okay? So just sticking your finger in your mouth and holding it up to the wind and to feel which way the wind is blowing with regard to opinions about Jesus and making your decision about which way the wind is blowing in, in the public is not going to give you an accurate view about who Jesus is in the gospel. Okay, perception and reaction are not accurate. It's like reading Facebook pages about um, people's opinions, full of people's opinions about news that happened nowhere near where they live and thinking you have an accurate view of what happened over here. It doesn't work. 
right? So, so getting your understanding about who Jesus is doesn't come toward acknowledging him. If you want to discover Jesus' true identity and his mission, you can't decipher it according to your own understanding. You have to submit your mind to the place and to the words where he has actually been revealed to us in the scriptures, to our Bible study this morning. It's amazing how that happens every week. Okay? So I, I, I want to say to you that to, to be like Peter and, and to grow in your wisdom and your faith and your knowledge and your, and your submission and your sanctification of Jesus, it's, you know, start here, okay? Lots of great books, lots of great authors, secondary and tertiary material sources can be super helpful, but ultimately God speaks through here. So start here. That's where revelation has been given. Okay. Number two, I want to take you back to the gates of hell. <clears throat> Jesus said, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So several years ago, I've, I think I've told you about this trip before. Holly and I took my mom and her sister, and which was my aunt and my, my brother, we went on this just diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, we went on this cruise to uh, the Mediterranean. And one of the things that we got to do is we, we uh, what's the word, pulled into port and, uh, in Kusadasi, Turkey, and you can drive about an hour in and you can visit the ruins of Ephesus, which is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And the, the, the rumor is, the, the tradition is that uh, John and Mary, the Apostle John, and Mary moved to Ephesus, outside of Ephesus, and lived there together and died where they died. And Mary's their little house, they're supposedly their little house is there, which was a church, and you can like walk through it if you just don't touch anything or whatever. You know, like it's a very holy kind of sacred space, and people are sticking their prayers in the walls and all this stuff. But outside the ruins and outside where Mary's house is, which is outside the ruins of the city as well, there's, um, there's a tomb in the, in the ground of, a, of the foundation of a church that's no longer there. The church is gone. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm near Corinth and Ephesus, Turkey, in Turkey. The building is gone. There's just an old stone foundation. And if you look down into this hole, there's a plaque there to help you find it. It says, the Apostle John is buried here. Now, I don't know if that's two dollars to go look at it. The church is gone, but John is there, and right over there is a mosque, right next door. So when Jesus says, the gates of hell will not overcome his church, he doesn't mean they will. If you go to the letter in Revelation chapter 3, there's a letter to the church in Ephesus which does not exist. It has been defeated as a local congregation so far. But his universal church is 2,000 years strong. So let's not assume for our own congregation that we don't have the full 
throated deity of Jesus working in our lives and on our behalf as this congregation? We do. This church, because it is built on Jesus, may suffer greatly at the power of the gates of hell, but it will not falter to the extent that it worships and loves and obeys the very person of whom the church is built on. The moment we stop loving and pursuing and building on him is the moment the gates of hell can win. Put your hope in a personality. Put your hope in an organizational strategy. Put your hope in tactics. Take an opinion of the community. See which direction you need to go in order to reach people. Put your hope in that and see what the gates of hell could do to your church. It will not be pretty. Stand on Jesus. We're going to take names. Okay. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the patience of a congregation um, on a longer Sunday to, to worship, to gather, to love and support and encourage and to study and to want to grow in the truth of the gospel. Thank you for your gift of revelation to Peter and the apostles at just the appointed time. Thank you for the work of Peter and the apostles in the early church who considered it worthy to have been attacked by the gates of hell, <coughs> imprisoned for it because it validated your words and, your, and, the, and the thing that you were doing in and through the, and it strengthened and empowered the church. Thank you for the wisdom with which you led them to discern how Gentiles fit in that story and what we do with different laws and how all that should flesh out. Thank you for their faithfulness and their work to loose and bind wisely. Thank you for writing it down so we don't forget building the church on you. truthfully and powerfully and faithfully proclaiming the gospel and bringing it to bear on our lives and the lives of those we serve. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.